<laughs> I want to finish what turned out to be a series of three sessions on on marriage. I promise. Let me just turn this on. Hello. Hello. Puts his glasses on. He tries to put his glasses on. Now he can read the little sign that says mute. Now it's off. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, I do want to talk today about biblical grounds for divorce. Don't often hear this from the pulpit. Most of us know pretty well, pretty well by heart the, the first two I have up there, marital infidelity and desertion by an unbelieving spouse. But I've never yet heard anyone on a Sunday from the pulpit address the issue of abuse and mental illness or addiction in the context of marriage and divorce. And yet, many, many people, including Christians, sadly, face abuse in the home and have to live with somebody who has a mental illness. Now, I just happen to think you've got to do the hard stuff. Because we have to be equipped. And it's better to know something in advance when we face a situation in our own lives that causes us to ask questions about things like marriage and divorce. If I can remind you, Jesus had a very high view of marriage. And when the Pharisees tried to trick him by asking why it was that Moses allowed for divorce, Jesus essentially said to them, look, it's not God's idea that any marriage should end in divorce. There was a provision made in the law because our hearts are hard. Now, most translations use that, I guess, because it's so well known. But what it really means is because, guess what? We're not able to actually live the way God wants us to live. Most of us, even when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and have an empowerment to live as he wants us to live, we make poor choices. So... The provision was made because we are still subject to sin even when we're followers of Jesus Christ. But as I explained at the time, that law, not only did it provide for divorce under certain circumstances, it also provided for the protection of the party who was harmed, in this case, the wife. Because that certificate she got allowed her to remarry without breaking the law. Before I get to the really serious stuff, 
I thought it might be useful or interesting to have a look at some of the reasons why couples divorce. The items that are asterisk there are all what psychologists call affective and what a theologian would call matters of the soul. They have to do with our, our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, and our will. So there's four or five there that are asterisk. They are what us Christians would refer to as being in the area of the soul. Here we go. These are not necessarily in order of importance. And of course, some couples might cite multiple reasons for their divorce. Incompatibility, where two people find that their ideas, perhaps about raising children or about politics, we've seen this in the United States where couples are divorcing because they feel so strongly about politics. There can be a large number of areas people discover they've really got no interest in common and so on. Irreconcilable differences, that's a legal term, where perhaps the underlying reasons for incompatibility are regarded by the couple or their advisors as being irreconcilable. There's nothing you can ever do about them. Money, that's a common one. I grew up in a home where there was a lot of argument about money. And that was sometimes tough to listen to those arguments. And it certainly affected my own capacity to manage money. And I've had to learn to manage money. Lack of communication. You know, so often couples communicate like this, not like this. And again, I've had to learn a lot about communication. Constant conflict. Infidelity, lack of intimacy. Some people say, I didn't know what I was getting on to because I was too young when I was married. Abuse, and abuse can come in a number of guises, physical, emotional, verbal, and fiduciary, or, or money. Um, it, it, I'm just amazed at the stories I hear from time to time about how money is used to keep a spouse under the thumb. And the final one in that list is addiction, alcohol, drugs, either prescription drugs or illegal drugs, sex, people get hooked on pornography, both males and females, gambling, shopping addictions, I've mentioned prescription medicines already. Fairly long list, isn't it? Fairly comprehensive. Well, what about some investment advice? A good friend of mine who's a Christian and a financial counsellor said something to me one day that I think is one of the wisest pieces of advice I've ever had about investment. And he said this, invest in your marriage. He was 
talking about superannuation. <laughs> but he said, invest in your marriage. You want to have a good pool of superannuation when you retire, invest in your marriage. Because you don't want to have it split by a marriage breakdown. So invest in these things. Respect for each other and a mutual sense of appreciation. Trust and faithfulness, invest in it. Physical closeness and sexual relations, strong communication skills, learn about communication and the ability to discuss problems openly. Invest in common values and shared meanings. Invest in supportiveness for each other. Invest in the ability to cooperate. If anybody wants more PowerPoint, I'm happy to send it to you so you don't have to write it all down and try and memorize it. So I think these things are important. Marriage is work apart from anything else. You've got to work on it. And I speak from experience. Because a long time ago now, but my marriage was on the rocks. 1988 was when we came closest to ending our relationship. But we made a decision. We didn't want a marriage on the rocks. We wanted a marriage based on the rock. The rock of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you what, we've invested a lot in our marriage through our relationship with Jesus over the last 30 plus years. Ours is not the best marriage in the world, by the way. You know, we're still working on it. We're still working on it. In fact, Jeanette said to me yesterday, you know, what was it? we've got our baggage and rubbish. And I said, tell me what mine is. <laughs> I want to know. You said I've got baggage and rubbish. So that happened even yesterday. <laughs> I still don't know what it is. I'm waiting for the list, right? <laughs> Being a bloke, I want the list, right? I want to work on it. I'm task-oriented. I want to be able to get to the end of next week and kick a couple off. You know? <laughs> Too long, eh? Well, I had a list of maintenance on my house that was so long I decided to sell up and buy a new one. Ah, <laughs> oh, praise the Lord, eh? All right, let me get on to the specific issue in hand about biblical reasons for, for divorce. And look, I don't need to spend too much time on this, I don't think, because we're all pretty familiar with it. When a spouse is untrue to us, when they commit the sin of infidelity, legally speaking, in the eyes of our Lord, divorce is permissible. So at the end of that response that Jesus made to the Pharisees, he says this, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I'll tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now back then, a woman didn't have 
the legal right to divorce her husband and only went one way. Now, of course, it's different, and I don't have any problem applying the principle here to the case of both the wife and the husband. Now, note this. It's not a legal requirement. It's a legal freedom. All right? If your spouse has been uh, has committed infidelity, adultery, then you are legally free to divorce. You don't have to. You may have a special grace to forgive and to rebuild the relationship. The second was given to us by Paul in 1 Corinthians In 1 Corinthians 7. This is not the whole of the scripture. It's worth reading that whole chapter and the chapter before it. And one day I'm going to have to do a discussion point on this as well because it addresses the whole thing of the authority relationship between the partners in a marriage. But Paul says at the end of a discourse on relationships... But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other. For God has called you to live in peace. Alright? So somebody might perhaps have not been saved, that is not been a Christian at the time that they were married, they become a Christian later, and the unbelieving spouse says, I want out. Paul says, you can let them go. He doesn't say you must, but he says, let them go. You can let them go. And you are free to marry without God seeing it, to remarry, I should say, without God seeing it as adultery. Paul actually goes on to say in this in this scripture, you know what, if, if you choose, or sorry, if the unbelieving spouse doesn't want to leave the marriage, you've got an opportunity by the way in which you live to actually bring them into the kingdom of God. He doesn't say it's guaranteed. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but you have the opportunity by the way in which you live to bring them into the kingdom of God, or to at least be used by God as an instrument in their salvation. Now I want to turn to the issue of domestic violence and abuse. I'm going to bring the slide up in just a moment. Remember back in Genesis 2.24, marriage is described as this state where a person leaves their mother and father, so they leave their, their family and they become one. A lot of translations say one flesh. Some people say that refers to the sexual union. I think it goes a lot further than that because the nature of the covenant is that we become so much at unity that we are one. It's not just the sexual act that makes us one flesh. It's the covenant 
that makes us one flesh. It brings us together. We're not, I should do it the other way, I shouldn't find it, a lot of trouble. We're not two separate fingers, we're just one. Yeah, I, I should be a bit careful, I just as well we haven't got a video. And uh, Jesus is recorded as having referred to this way back. See, this is before the fall, right? Marriage is not something which God thought about after the fall, right? Marriage and work are two things that God established before there was any sin in the earth, right? And Jesus goes all the way back to God's original intention for humanity. The Apostle Paul also directly quotes Genesis 2.24 in 1 Corinthians 6.16 and in Ephesians 5.31. Now I've done quite a lot of reading. I've looked at theologians and linguists and so on in terms of, you know, so what about abuse? This is something which has exercised my mind for a long, long time. Maybe because when I was a kid, about 12 years old, back in those days, of course, everybody lived in a weatherboard house, like they were about that big, and they'd have a pretty decent backyard, and often, if you were brought up in the country as I was, you'd have a chook yard down the back, and, and, and a woodshed, right? And I used to sometimes go down to the woodshed, and, I was sitting in the woodshed one afternoon after school. We had a neighbour at the back. He was a, an abusive man. They had a, back in those days too, you had, most people had an incinerator down their backyard to burn rubbish. And uh, some people just had an old 44 gallon drum which was cut up and that's what these people had. had. It was a bit, rusty and it was a bit sort of jagged at the edge. And there were little gaps between the palings so I could see through the palings and I heard him and saw him. He grabbed her head and he rubbed her face along the jagged edge of the rusty 44 gallon drum and he said, go and look at yourself in the mirror now and see how I feel. Got that. That's why I've sought biblical evidence on what do I say to somebody in a situation like that. This is what I believe is the truth. Any kind of abuse, physical, emotional, fiduciary it breaks the fundamental covenantal nature of marriage there can be no oneness in the presence of abuse The most fundamental element of a marriage is covenant. It's not a contract. 
We submit so much to one another that we're just one unit. You know what? If I rubbed my face on a sharp object, someone would say he's mad and they'd have me committed, right? That's what we do to people who self-harm, right? We get them help, they might get admitted to the psychiatric ward of the local hospital. In fact, most of the hospitals have flying squads made up of doctors and, and the police get involved. When, when people do that, well, what do you do? What, if, what do you do if you're doing it to your spouse? Surely you're madder than if you were doing it to yourself. My advice, if you're abused, is to get out. Get out. You need have no guilt about whether or not you are committing adultery if you're ultimately remarried. I have no doubt whatsoever. Because any kind of abuse is a repudiation of the covenantal nature of marriage. And I do believe that the Catholic Church has got this thing right about marriage. They will annul a marriage under those conditions. Because they understand something about the covenantal. They'll also annul a marriage which isn't entered into freely. So if there's been any level of coercion or lack of understanding on the part of one of the, the partners, the, because they don't do divorce in the Catholic Church, but they will annul marriages under certain circumstances, and that's, that's one of them. And now, it makes it a lot easier for me to address the issue of mental illness and, and addiction, because you see, one of the outcomes often where there's mental illness is infidelity, desertion on the part of an unbelieving spouse, abuse, addiction. Now you know, one thing a lot of people don't really like about Christianity is that although we recognise that there are reasons, reasons are not excuses. The Bible doesn't say if the infidelity is the outcome of mental illness, then it's okay and you can't divorce. The Bible doesn't say that. And, and I guess this is one of those harsh things about the religion that we profess to follow. A reason is not an excuse. You know, that doesn't mean to say that just because we're unhappy, we should get out of marriage. Right? If my wife doesn't express enough gratitude for the fact that I work hard, that's not a reason to get out of my marriage. That's not abuse. It might husband doesn't commend me every night for the quality of my cooking that's not abuse and that's not 
a reason. If he throws the food at me every night, that's different. You see what I'm saying? I want to make one other point, and that is that there are situations where things are not too black and white. And one of the really yucky areas is what do you do in the case of some mental illnesses such as Alzheimer's disease, where it's well understood that particularly in the latter stages of Alzheimer's disease, because of what's going on in the brain, often people do become violent or at least aggressive. I think a lot of judgment needs to be employed in a case like this. Because often it comes later in life, although believe it or not, there's early onset Alzheimer's disease and even teenagers can succumb to it. So we have to prayerfully exercise a lot of wisdom in some cases. But I don't believe that God would ever want us to place ourselves in a situation where we are in danger. It's not an excuse for us to walk out on a relationship because we're going through a rocky period or there's something we don't like about our spouse but God never intended that the marriage covenant would cause one or other or even both spouses to be abused for any reason including mental illness on the part of one party now I want to finish on a, on a hopeful note I know it's tough to listen to this stuff. I know it's tough because m- most of us who are married have had some pretty tough times and Jeanette and I have. And as I said, we made that decision that our marriage would be built on the rock, that our marriage wouldn't be on the rocks. But I'm sure if you want to talk to Jeanette, she would be able to to share with you about some of those tough times. And I have no doubt that we are where we are because our God is a God of grace. We must remember always as Christians, the new covenant is described by Paul as a covenant of grace. He says it's a better covenant. It's a better covenant than the old one. You know, we're translated from the glory Remember that passage we're translated from glory to glory? It's the glory of the old covenant into the glory of the new covenant. The glory of the old covenant in the law, the glory of the new covenant in the grace of God. According to Romans 6.15, however, and you should read it, grace is never licensed to sin. See, Paul talks about how grace abounds where there's sin and abounds even more where there is more sin. But then he goes on to say, but what then? Shall we sin more so we can access more grace? Certainly not, he says. And in the Greek, that is as close 
to swear words as you'll ever find in the Bible. Grace is never licensed to sin. Sometimes that's referred to as cheap grace. However, we must always remember that God's forgiveness covers everything in the past. Wherever we are right now, by the grace of God, we are forgiven for our sin. So anybody who on a biblical basis is now in a relationship which the Bible clearly says is seen by God as an adulterous relationship, you can't fix that up by somehow going backwards in time. If, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular at all, but so if somebody, say, divorced unbiblically, because they woke up one day and they thought, this is all too hard, we don't have enough in common, we got married too young, I'm sick and tired about fighting over money and bloody, bloody, blah, blah. I'm going to call it a day. And off they go and they live somewhere else for two years and sign a few papers and they're all divorced. Then they fall in love again and get married, all right? That's unbiblical. Well, you didn't know about all this stuff until today, most likely. Right? So whatever happened, you repent of that. You repent of that. And you receive forgiveness from God. Like, I mean, if you're married today, and 10 years ago you divorced unbiblically, you can't turn around to your current spouse and say, oops, I'm in adultery. Ta-da, I've got to go back. You realise that's just not going to happen, right? But you see, God is a God of grace. And through grace, He provides forgiveness. So if we've done, if we've made a mistake in the past, if we've stuffed it up, if we've done something wrong in the past, repent, which just means to turn around. I'm not going to make that same mistake again. I know more now than I did before. I know more about how God uses marriage as an image of his relationship with the world, as an image of the relationship of Christ with the church. All that stuff we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I know that now. I repent of what happened in the past. God forgives. And not only does he forgive, he totally forgets. It's gone. All your sin. It's it's as far away from you right now as the east is from the west and you can't get any further away than that. Bible also says God is able to save us to the uttermost. We cannot get any more saved than that. So let me encourage you. Live from this day forward as a married couple in the way that God intends you to. Whatever mistake you might have made in the past, God is certainly ready to forgive and to take you on a new path. Well, that's part three. That is it. I did finish it. There are other things I believe God wants me to focus on into the future. In fact, in, in, in including... 
The Sabbath, I haven't forgotten that. We still haven't quite finished Revelation. I haven't forgotten that. And uh, during, during the week, I was given reason to sit and think about what do we do as a church in terms of helping people in need. Pretty tough for a small church, but I do think it's something we need to address. And so we, I, I, I do want to do a discussion, but if you haven't read the newsletter, read it. Because I've made some comments in there about, about how well, biblical principles for, for, for helping the needy. And I will do a discussion point on that as well at some point in the new year. So there's lots of stuff God, God's given me. And, um, you know, I will continue to be grateful if you actually turn up. And, and believe it or not, uh, online, the two sessions on marriage have been really popular. We're getting hundreds of people uh, downloading and listening to those discussion points. So, I don't have, whatever, eight people here today, that's okay. Well, it's not totally okay. I'd love to see this place full, but um, we are having an impact because people are seeking the, the, the recordings. And I just do it on my phone. My phone's sitting down here on the chair. I've got a little app on the phone. And then when I get time, I just edit it, top and tail it, so that all we've got is the actual discussion point. And people are listening to it. In some cases, hundreds of people. Some in Australia. There are lots of people in the United States who listen. So we're having some, some impact, and I think that's important. And look, you know, I lose sleep over messages like this because it's not tickling your ears. There is no way that this is motivational, all right? And, and I, I lose sleep over that because, and, and I even hesitated to say this is what I was going to do in the newsletter for fear that some people might say, well, I'm not going. I don't want to listen to that. So I'm very grateful that you're here. And, and, and I do know that we'll get a lot of downloads. And, and, and I guess in some ways that encourages me that God is in this. And I really do believe that. That, you know, God, God has given Ignite Life for something. You know, and, and isn't it so good that we've got one minute pastor communion, and it's not all me. Now we did a do it yourself once. I did worship leading. I did. We didn't have one minute. I did communion. I did the preach. I did everything. Nah, you don't want to do it that way. Because if you do it that way, I might as well just sit in my study at home and do it all and just, just talk to a mirror. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of me. Um, I, 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 uh, I, I'm not apologetic for what I do, but I do realise that it's not an easy ride. And this church 